Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We're going to work on this for a while today. Luke chapter 6. And uh, this is the 10th message uh, trying to work our way through the book of Luke. And we're uh, in Luke chapter 6. And we're going to have to really work to get through the rest of the chapter today. I'm going to try really hard. I am very aware that the mind can only contain as much as the seat can endure. So, we'll see how we're doing in about 20 minutes, okay? Amen. Hallelujah. Maybe we'll just get so lost in the Word that it won't matter. Isn't that awesome? I just love the Word. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather around your Word and to learn your Word and to fellowship with brothers and sisters, to worship you, to bring our gifts to you, to bring our petitions and our requests before you. Touch me today to be able to effectively communicate your word to this wonderful group of people today. I pray that you would grow us today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now today I want to talk to you, I've called this rock solid, because I want you to, to continue to get this picture. Jesus was in the synagogue. Jesus was ministering to the people that had come to the synagogue. The Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, and all that, they were still there. So there were religious factions that were still there. But Jesus was still in the process of putting the foundational principles of discipleship in His 12 disciples. And so it's almost like Jesus was teaching everybody, but He was tailoring His teachings more to the disciples. And so I've called this rock solid today because Jesus knew that the road that the disciples would travel was going to produce several enemies. And in the presence of people that would become their enemies, Jesus explained to them how to handle yourself when you're under attack. And so uh, part of what we're going to be talking about today is how to respond when we come under attack. If you do anything significant for God, I've said this many times over the last six months or so, but if you do anything significant for God, you're going to come under attack. That's not a bad confession, that's a fact. Here's another fact. We've won. He won. That's another fact. The other fact is the fact that the enemy only attacks credible threats, and when he attacks the credible threats, then we win. We, and you need to keep that in your mind in the midst of the battle. You need to realize that this is really nothing more than an exercise in futility for the enemy because we've already won this war. Come on, somebody give God some praise. Amen. So in Luke chapter 6 and uh, beginning there in verse number 27, which is where we're going to begin today, uh, in the King James Version it says, But I say unto you, which here love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. But I love the message translation of this. Listen to this. Here's what it says. It says, To you who are ready for the truth, I say this, Love your enemies, let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. That's the message translation. Love your enemies, let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. Every time that you come under attack, you have a choice to make. Am I going to act like the devil or am I going to act like a Christian? 
And I, am I going to let my circumstances rule the day or am I going to let my faith rule the day? Amen? Come on. Fear or faith? Fear or faith? The choice is yours. Fear is contaminated faith. It's believing more in what the devil says and your circumstances say than in what God says and what His Word says about you and your circumstances. And so we need to make the decision that we're going to allow God to use us and when we come under attack, we're going to let it bring the best out in us not the worst out in us. And so Jesus begins to explain to them in a little bit of a detail here how we're supposed to react when we come under attack. So let's read here for just a few verses, all right? Here's what it says. I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you, and unto him that smites you on one cheek, offer the other one, and him that takes away your coat or your, clo or your cloak, your shirt, your overcoat, forbid not to take your coat also. Give to every man that asks of you, and of him that takes away your goods, ask them not again. Don't ask for them back. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. So let's just kind of capture this and shrink it down into something very simple for us to understand. How do I love my enemies? Jesus said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. The rationale is in verses 32, 33, and 34. We'll deal with that in just a moment. But Jesus said, love your enemies. You say, Lord, I can't love my enemies. I don't know how to love my enemies. I want to punch my enemies in the nose, Lord. Come on. Let's just be real here, okay? When they walk in front of me, I just want to, oh, praise the Lord, God knocked you down. No, you tripped them. <laughs> I heard Carmen make the statement once. He said, sometimes it's just easier to witness to people stretched out on the floor. <laughs> how do we love our enemies? So in case we're wondering how to do that, here's what Jesus said. Number one, he said, treat them good. What? Treat my enemies. Yep, got to treat them good. And then the Bible said we're supposed to bless them with our mouth instead of cursing them. And we're supposed to bless them. We are supposed to bless our enemies. We're supposed to do good to our enemies and we're supposed to bless our enemies. What does it mean when it means I'm supposed to bless my enemies? That means I'm supposed to make contributions into their life that will increase the good in them. I don't want to do that. What do you want them to keep being a rascal? Maybe they're only working with what they know. Maybe they were raised with what we used to call a bunch of rounders. Maybe they were raised with a bunch of people who just had absolutely no idea what it, was to, what it is to respect, what it is to honor, what it is to bless. Maybe they were raised around people like that. Maybe that's the influences that are in their life today. See, here's the thing. When I bless my enemy with something good that will increase the good in their life, then I'm planting a seed that God promises one day I can harvest on. The best way, according to Abraham Lincoln, the best way to defeat an enemy is to turn him into a friend. That's the words of President Abraham Lincoln. So, how do I love my enemies? I treat them good. I bless them. I pray for them. 
I turn the other cheek. Now let me just kind of go down this track just a little bit. This is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I want to teach you something here. All right? Well, what happens when you turn the other cheek? Well, the Bible don't say what to do after that. God doesn't expect you to sit there and just take a beating. So if somebody comes up to you and they smite you on one cheek, you give them the benefit of the doubt. That's what it means by turning the other cheek. You give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they had a bad day. But if they hit you again, you have a responsibility to protect yourself and to protect your own. It is not a biblical excuse for anyone involved in domestic hostility to set back and let their spouse or their lover or whoever it is pound on them day in and day out and use the excuse that the Bible said, turn the other cheek. It is not God's, <laughs> thank you, John. It is not God's will. Helen, you need to go easier on him. It is. <laughs> Some things just come out. You just grab them and put them back in, but they're already out, right? <laughs> I love those folks. It's not God's will for you to be beat on. It's not God's will for you to be abused. It's not God's will for somebody to do that to you. So when the Bible said to turn the other cheek, that means to give them the benefit of the doubt. But once you've given them the benefit of the doubt, you need to stand up for yourself. Come on, say, that's good teaching, Pastor. Come on, stand up for yourself. And then the Bible said, give to those who beg from you. If they're constantly asking you, then go ahead and give them something. Maybe they really need it. Maybe they're trying to use you, but go ahead and give to them. I had someone contact me here just not too long ago and they, and they came to me and they said, well, let, let me put it like this. It's been about a year ago, a year and a half ago. And there was a little trailer down the road down here and this guy was from a different country and he came into the offices and he sat down and he looked at me extremely agitated and he looked at me and I said, how can I help you? He said, I need to get home so you're going to buy that trailer down the street. I looked at him, I said, excuse me? He said, I need to get back to Scotland. And he said, I hate America. I don't like nothing. I don't like what's going on here in America. I can't stand your government. I need to get home. And so you're a church. You're right down the street. You've got the money. You're going to buy that and I'm going home. And I looked at him and I said, I don't know what you've been smoking. I don't know what you've been drinking. You know, I, I have no idea where all of this is coming from, but number one, let me tell you, I'm not buying that trailer down the street. The church doesn't have need of it. God doesn't have need of it. And the attitude that you carried into this place is not the kind of attitude that is conducive here in America. You don't go around and demand your way from Americans. We are a democracy, not a dictatorship. So maybe that's why you're not getting along with people in America. He looked at me like, how dare the preacher talk to me like that? Well, what was I supposed to do? Okay, let me see what we can do. We'll just see what we can do. We'll try to get you back to Scotland somehow. Oh, I know, we don't want... But yeah, I, I don't want you to be angry. I don't want you to be... <laughs> Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
that's how the Bible said we're supposed to love our enemies. So we need to shoot straight with them. We need to treat them good. We need to bless them with our mouth. We need to pray for them. We need to turn the other cheek. We need to give to them. We need to, uh, uh, and the Bible says that we're not supposed to try to recover it. If someone steals from us, if they take our cloak, we're supposed to offer them our coat also. So here's the rationale. We're talking about, we're talking about loving our enemies. How do we love our enemies? So here's the rationale in the scripture on why we do things this way. And it's found in verses 32, 33, and 34. Jesus probably saw a whole bunch of question marks on people's foreheads when he was trying to teach them these things. And so Jesus looks at him and he said, If you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And he said, And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. So what Jesus was saying was if you're going to live for Christ, if you're going to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, then you need to be able to draw a contrast in the way that you live and the way that the world lives. That's why I'm not into seeker-sensitive services. I'm not into seeker-sensitive church services. And, and that movement, I don't like it. You cannot, you cannot make your church look like the world to attract the world and expect the world to stay when they come in and experience something they could experience at the local bar. Yeah. Hello? No, when the lost comes in, uh, the lost comes to church, first of all, 82% of them come because you invited them. According to Church Barna Research, 82% of the people, come, people that, uh, that come to church and visit churches visit because someone in that church invited them to church. Here's the real problem. Only 2% of the people in the church really invite people to church. What's wrong with the other 98% of y'all? See what I'm saying? So invite them. But when they come, lost people come to church because they're looking for answers. Lost people come to church because they're looking for healing. They come because they're looking for hope. They come because they need a move of God in their life. They don't even understand that's what they need. Especially someone that don't know anything about Jesus. Someone that was raised in a pagan environment will come to church and they'll sit back there and they'll think, why do they raise their hands? Ooh, that's some pretty good music, but I don't know why they keep singing the same song over and over and over again. That preacher's knocking people in the floor. Somebody do something. <laughs> These are the kinds of things that go through the mind of lost, of lost people. When we pray for them and God drops them in the floor, somebody catches them because, you know, we're not going to get sued because somebody's going to give us a CD, you know, a courtesy drop. <laughs> Jesus, I'm just... So... <laughs> So let's be different. Jesus was saying, you can, you can love sinners if, if, sinner, if sinners love you and you love... It says, it says, if you love them which love you, why do you think you need to be thanked? Sinners do the same thing. He says, you can do good to them which do good to you. Why do you think you need to be thanked? Why, why does somebody need to put a light on that? Sinners do the same thing. 
And then he goes on, and if, if you lend to them and hope to receive, uh, why, do you, why are you thankful when they give it back to you? Because sinners lend to receive, to receive as much again. So he was saying, be different. Love them when they don't love you. Do good to them when they're treating you poorly. And give not expecting anything in return. So, what's the life principles we get out of this? Jesus said, love your enemies. Number one, we're supposed to treat our enemies well. Why? How much time have we wasted personally trying to pursue justice? Let me help you with something. Justice is not your responsibility. Justice is not your responsibility. Jesus said this, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. I will repay. So justice is not your responsibility. Justice is God's responsibility. Well, I don't see God doing anything. Listen, God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. You know what that means? That means God's timetable is not my timetable. Because if I was God, you don't want me to be God. But, and my enemies, those that set themselves up in the past, now I don't even care, but, but way back, they didn't want me to be God. Because if I was God, I would be trying to take care of things just pow, 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 pow. And that's what we all think. That's what we, well, I'd just take care of it right away if I was God. No, you wouldn't because God knows your end from your beginning and he also knows their end from their beginning and you don't have the advantage of the information that God has about your life and about other people's lives. And so here's a thought that I want to share with you. Let's leave the matter of justice up to God. And let's release ourselves from feeling the responsibility of thinking that we have to resolve everything by ourselves and let's focus forward and see what God will do in our lives, okay? As long as you're busy focusing on your enemies in a negative way and in a negative light, then you're not spending your valuable time and your valuable energies and your valuable mentality focusing forward in the present and also in the future. All right. All right. So here's the bottom line. Right thinking, this is tweetable. Right thinking leads to right living. Right thinking leads to right living. Tweet that, Instagram it, IG it, whatever. Put it on Facebook. Whatever. Tumble it. Tumbler, tumbler, tumbler. Some of you that are business folks, share it to my LinkedIn page. I'll reshare it. Right thinking leads to right living. What's right thinking? It's, it's simple. Philippians 4.18. Finally, brother, whatsoever things are true. How many times have we heard this? Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, that means power or empowerment, if there be any virtue or if there be any praise, here is the imperative command of God through the apostle to the church at Philippi. He said, think on these things. 
I don't see this saying whatsoever things are untrue, whatsoever things are dishonest, whatsoever things are unjust, whatsoever things are impure, whatsoever things are unlovely, whatsoever things are of bad report, if there's nothing of value in it, and if there's no praise, think on the, I don't see that. It's not there. We are supposed to think on true things, honest things, just things, pure things, lovely things, things that are of good report, things that add virtue and power and praise. The Word of God says to think on these things. Amen. Hallelujah. 37. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive and you shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. And he spake a parable unto them, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but every one that is perfect shall be as his master. Woo, who's our master? Jesus, everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye? And, and, and Jesus always had a way with words. Here's what he said. You hypocrite! Cast out first the beam out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to pull the mote out that is in your brother's eye. Now here's the thing. I want you to continue to keep this in your mind. Jesus is in the synagogue. He'd spent all night praying. He had selected 12 disciples from the company of followers that were with him. He had healed the man with the withered hand. He had went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And now Jesus is starting the foundational principles of discipleship training with the disciples. And this is what He chooses to teach them. He says, Do not judge or condemn, but rather forgive, give, and live. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that the temptation to judge and condemn would be strong at times. And Jesus encouraged them, present. Now listen, He encouraged the disciples in the presence of the Pharisees who would later stir up the people and cry, crucify Him. Jesus encouraged the disciples in their presence to forgive. He modeled it on the cross. When He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So, what was Jesus doing? Now, let's take, a, uh, let's take a step back and let's look at this. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was standing in the synagogue. He was putting together His church. He was establishing the dispensation of grace. He was trying to give those that would come after him, something to work with that would prove that he was indeed the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world who fulfilled the requirements of the law of the spotless lamb. 
And so Jesus is standing here in the synagogue and what he's doing is he's drawing a contrast between the law and grace. Jesus said to them, the law says judge, grace says forgive. The law says condemn. When someone is condemned and judged and put away, then they are denied access and their rights are taken away. So the law says condemn or take away and grace says give. Let me say this again. The law says judge, grace says forgive. The law says condemn and grace says give. No wonder the Pharisees and the scribes were so angry with Jesus. He was exposing their manipulative schemes and disrupting their country club. Jesus was blowing their cover. He was saying, you know, you guys are using the law for your own benefit. We talked about that last week. You're using the law for your own benefit. You're using the law to become wealthy. You're using the law to, to put over on people and try to guilt them into making you do this and do that. And Jesus, Jesus was like, listen, listen, listen. The law says, to, the law says here that, that you're supposed to judge, but grace says to forgive. The law says to condemn. Grace says give. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees were very angry with Jesus because he was exposing their manipulation. There are two things that real love does not do. Real love does not judge and real love does not condemn. Oh, I just don't know about that, Pastor. Well, you've never had kids. Right? Or maybe you've never been in real love. Because <laughs> when the infraction is as plain as the nose on your face, the person that's in love with the person that's committing the infraction is going to be making every excuse in the world to try to make them not look as bad as they look. That's what the scriptures mean when it says love covers a multitude of sins. If you study that out, it literally means that it makes the sin not look as bad as it was. And that's what Jesus was talking about there on Calvary. So there's two things that love doesn't do. It doesn't judge and it doesn't condemn. Obviously, this is not talking about, obviously, this is talking about judging and condemning people because there are some things the Bible teaches us to judge. The Bible teaches us to judge between good and evil. The Bible teaches us that we're not supposed to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, so we have to judge that. And the Bible teaches us that we are supposed to love one another. So how can we say that we walk in love if we are prone with a, to have a critical spirit and a fault-finding spirit? Well, I love you, and then you turn your back and out come the knives. How do you handle that? You just keep loving them. Here's what I found. It's more fun to love. And let me explain it like this. Let me explain it like this. When you're fighting with your spouse, and sometimes Donna and I have had, had wars because she just cannot see things my way sometimes. <laughs> We've been married almost 29 years now, so I can pick on her just a little bit. And sometimes we're fighting with one another. It happens. We're real people just like you. So you're, you're fighting with your spouse. 
Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Take about a two-minute break and then just start laughing at each other. Because if you'll give yourself about a two-minute break, you'll realize how ridiculous what you're fighting is, is over. Really, the bottom line is most of the time it's more of a over a power struggle than anything else. Well, if we would just line ourselves up according to the Word of God and what the Word of God says about the way that a family is supposed to be structured, the power struggles would just go out the door and we could live in peace. That's what the Word says. But here's the thing. How much energy does it take to fight? How much energy does it take to be at war? Is it fun? It's not then why do we do it? Why do we do it? When we have the opportunity to just let love that covers a multitude of sins rule the day. Because here's the thing. If you walk in love, you're fueling your soul. If you're walking in hatred and fighting with one another, you're draining your soul. So real love doesn't judge or condemn Real love says, I'm going to just make a choice to walk in love. So how do I do that? Well, I walk in forgiveness. When we give forgiveness, we are priming the pump for our harvest. Life principles to learn. Verses 39 and 40. He spake a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple's not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. So here's the life principle that we learned there. We need to learn this stuff from our teachers. We need to learn this stuff from our mentors. I told you last week, I'm going to tell you again, two different ways to learn. Mentors are mistakes. I'm going to tell you again, choose mentors. It's a lot less painful and it's a whole lot quicker. And it doesn't cost near as much. Well, I just think I... Listen, I've got some great mentors in my life. I don't have very many of them. I have a few. Because I'm extremely choosy. And the Bible said, Know them which labor among you. So I never allow anyone access into my life as a mentor unless I am, am in some type of a personal relationship with them where I have access to them and they have access to me in such a way that I can discern the spirit that they carry. Just because someone has a big ministry, just because someone has a big business, just because someone has a hugely successful relationship with their spouse, doesn't mean that God assigned them to you as your mentor. Think about it. Think about it. So, I'm very careful about that. And I would encourage you, be very careful about those that you allow to speak into your life. Don't let just anyone pray for you. I'm talking about lay hands on you and pray for you. That's how spirits get transferred. Don't let just anyone put stuff inside of you 
when it comes to instruction. Well, you know, I, I was praying for you and can we just meet down here for a cup of coffee because I feel like the Lord, He was talking to me and I've got some things that I need to share with you. And so you go down and you sit down and you're starting to have a cup of coffee with them and the first thing they say is they say, you know, the Lord was speaking to me and you know, those people that you're with, those that you're allowing to be your spiritual leaders, you don't need, you don't need to be, you know, the Lord's just kind of wanting to warn you about it. You need to look at them and say, I rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus. Satan will always try to cause division. Satan will always try to cause confusion. Satan will always try to do those things. And so we learn this stuff from our teachers, from our mentors. We learn how to, to judge not and, and to condemn not and to forgive and, and to give and, and to give. And the Bible said, the Bible said, when we give, it'll be given to us good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall men give into your bosom? For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And so we need to learn this from people who God has assigned to us as our teachers and our mentors and we need to follow their instruction and we need to allow God to lead us through them. That's the word. Learn it from your mentors. Learn it from your teachers. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? Verses 39 and 40 said we learn it from our teachers and our mentors. And so we need to make sure that we choose them well. And the life principle, the other life principle here, and then uh, we're going to have to be done with this, with this part today. But the uh, other life principle here is verses 41 and 42. And why beholdest thou the mote that's in your brother's eye, but perceives not the beam that's in your own eye? Either how, can you, how, how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that's in thine eye when you yourself behold not the beam that's in your own eye. And then Jesus said, you're a hypocrite. Cast out first the beam out of your own eye and you'll see clearly to pull out the mote that is in your brother's eye or some translations say the speck. Okay, Verses 41 and 42, here's the life principle Jesus was teaching. Pay more, listen to me, this is going to set some of you free if you'll do it. You can hear the word. And it won't be very good for you unless you put it to practice. Listen to this. Pay more attention to what is going on in your life and in your heart than what is going on in other people's lives and other people's hearts. Let me say it like this. Mind your own business. Just mind your... Look at your neighbor and say, Mind your own business. Pastor, why do you do stuff like that? So you'll remember it. I promise you about five of you this week is going to look at somebody and say, mind your own business. <laughs> That's what the Word is teaching us. The Word is teaching us we need to mind our own business. We get ourselves in so much trouble sticking our nose in where it doesn't belong. Wow. You know, everybody's got a nose. Blow your own nose. <laughs> take care of your own. Just, just take care of your own. Just, you know, quit waiting for other people to clean up your mess. Hello. Don't shout me down while I'm trying to teach you good here. Quit waiting for other people to clean up your own mess. 
It's your snot. Clean it up yourself. <laughs> Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Keep your nose out of other people's business. You come to me, people come to me and they'll say, I just don't understand. I, I just don't have any peace. I just can't sleep at night. On a, and, and if you're sat there and you listen to them talk, because most of the time you can tell just by sitting and listening, not saying anything. You sit and listen to them talk for about five more minutes and they're going to start talking about everybody and their brother. Well, that's the problem. They got the nose in everybody else's business. We... we that's what the Word says here. The Bible says here that we need to get the beam out of our eye before we get the speck out of someone else's eye. That's the Word. Jesus is trying to teach the disciples, listen, you're going to run into all kinds of stuff out there. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Forgive. Give. Live. Listen to your mentors. Learn from your mentors. Learn from your teachers. And mind your own business. That's what he's telling them. Mind your own business. But Jesus goes from that after he's telling them, mind your own business. And then he goes from that and he starts talking to them about fruit. Because fruit matters. The proof is in the fruit. The proof is in the fruit. The fruit exposes the root. You think you've got it hid? <laughs> the fruit will expose the root. Think about it. And so Jesus talks to them about it. If it's in you, it's going to come out of you. Singers are going to sing. Preachers are going to preach. Leaders are going to lead. Ushers are going to ush. Deekers are going to deek. Right? Hunters going to hunt. Fish are going to fish. Right? Right? Gossip are going to gossip. Backbite are going to backbite. Right? Hallelujah. Followers going to follow. Christian going to be a Christian? The proof's in the fruit. The proof's in the fruit. You focus on the fruit? No, you focus on the root. Because if you focus on the root, the proof will be in the fruit. <laughs> See, we don't have time to do this. This was really going to be fun. But it's true. You focus on that which cannot be seen. And you let God take care of that which can, what can be seen. Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, Three four six six nine, or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.